0: I have the privilege of preaching this morning and continuing our series from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, and we've called it Messy Church. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for Paul, for the saints in Corinth, and the example and the witness and the story that they have provided to us. I pray as you help me and as we gather around the scriptures, you do heart and mind surgery, you'd inspire faith and cause us to become more and more like Jesus. Amen. I was listening to a radio programme this week and it had a feature that I found kind of never heard before. It talked about space archaeology. I wondered initially what that was about, thinking, are they going to find... Like, houses and roads on asteroids, it wasn't that. Rather than archaeology being about people uh, getting themselves in the dirt and doing all that scraping and digging and finding the pottery and the mosaics and, and the walls of houses by physically getting in there, it was actually to do with satellites in other words, they said, using satellites, they could take the big picture, they could look down and see things that wouldn't be able to be seen with the natural eye or even from aerial photography. Amazing the things that they found in deserts and under the earth that has been buried for a long time. Sometimes when we're reading scripture, particularly longer letters like Paul's letter to the, to the church in Corinth, we can find great value in working through verse by verse, of looking and taking uh, the, the texts themselves and reading them, understanding them and applying them. But there's also a huge merit, a huge value in sometimes taking the bigger picture and looking at a theme, looking at an overview. And as such this morning, I want to focus particularly on a theme that is using a bit of an old word, a bit of a word that has been really precious in seasons of the church gone by, but kind of has gone a little bit out of vogue recently. And that word is holiness. I wonder what comes to mind for you when you think of the word holiness. What emotion does it conjure? What does it prompt you to think, oh no, is it more about rules and regulations and feeling a bit burdened? Or is it about being liberated, finding our destiny, finding our true humanity, finding fullness in the Lord Jesus Christ, holiness? But first, uh, a little story. An affluent and aristocratic lady uh, reviews some CVs from potential chauffeurs to drive her Bentley. She narrows the applicants down to three people, invites them to her large house with cars. She escorts each of them individually to her driveway, and alongside the driveway is a brick wall. She asks each of them a question. If you were driving my really expensive Bentley, how close would you come to that brick wall without scratching my car? The first applicant says, I can drive within a foot of that, uh, of that wall and not damage it at all. She brings out the second applicant and asks, if you were driving my Bentley, how close do you think you'd get to that brick wall without scratching my car? He looks at it, looks at the car, looks at the angles and says, well, I think I can drive within six inches of that wall and not damage your car. She beckons over the third applicant and says, if you're driving my Bentley, how close would you come to uh, that brick wall without scratching my car? The third applicant doesn't hesitate and says, mom, I don't know how close I could come to that wall without damaging your car, but if I was driving your car, I would stay as far away as possible from the wall so as not to damage your car. Guess who got the job? When we think about walking with Jesus, about holiness and the converse of of holiness, of sin, of temptation. So often the point is not how close you can get to sin or into temptation without getting scratched, but actually the converse to say as far away as possible. Someone phrased it like this, the mark of a saint isn't perfection, but consecration. A saint is not someone without faults, but rather someone who has given themselves without reserve to God. Holiness. I want us to focus on some scriptures that Paul writes to the church. In Corinth, that church that is planted, that church that is contended for those people that he knows by name and loves and is eager for them to grow in maturity in the ways of Jesus and the ways of the Spirit. And in that letter, this overview, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that part of what he wants is holiness, godliness, integrity, Christ-likeness in his people, in the church, in metropolitan, cosmopolitan Corinth. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2.
1: To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours.
0: And in verse 30.
1: It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And in chapter 6. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God.
0: Throughout the letter. Paul is re-emphasizing and focusing the church on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. That's stolen that from Hebrews. But he's wanting to tell them that those who are called, those who believe, are sanctified. In other words, are made holy, holy people, individuals and the people together, with those everywhere who call on the name of Jesus. The part of the purposes of God through Jesus Christ are to make a holy people. A resonance right back to Exodus when God gathers his people on the Mount of Sinai and says, I am a holy God, will you be a holy people? Yes. Out of the grace of God in rescuing them out of Egypt, they say, yes, that's who we shall be. Chapter, in verse 30 of chapter 1, That we're told that Jesus is our righteousness, is our holiness, is our redemption. And chapter 6, verse 11, that you were washed, you were sanctified. There's that word again. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That when we talk about holiness, it's not a do and a don't list. It's actually the inheritance and the calling And the living of who we now are in Jesus. Why? Because we're born again. Why? Because in 2 Corinthians he said the old has gone. The old creation, the old ways. The new has come. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. We're no longer dead. We're alive in Jesus. We are redeemed. We're reconciled. We're restored and we are rescued. What is holiness? It's a way of living that models that it is following the example, but is caught up in the purposes of Jesus, in the nature and character of Jesus. And I'll come on to that a little bit later of how that takes place. In a nutshell, I guess you could say, what is holiness? It's being fully alive and alert in him. It's not about the do's and don'ts. I've been burdened of feeling, I've never reached up and never got to the bar of expectation that we perceive God lays on us. That's the place that we are without Jesus. We can never achieve God's standards. That's why we need a rescuer, a savior, one who will let us be born again and pays for our sin, dies in our place. But when we believe in him, The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. We become his followers. And now we have the privilege of walking in his ways. Holiness, it seems, has gone out of vogue. But actually is the calling of every believer. I came across someone who phrased it like this. When we think of holiness, we need to think of uh, of its opposite, and that's sometimes of, of sin. The commentator said this, we live in a society where none of that makes any sense anymore, and the refusal to be serious about sin or to believe that God could take sin seriously has spread from the world to the church. In a recent article, Professor Mary Gray asks, is sinfulness still an accepted category in our society, either for the religious believer or the non-believer? And she goes on to report that in a university study from Belgium, they surveyed attitudes to sin and guilt of European Christians. 40% of those interviewed admitted they'd never experienced any feelings of regret about their actions. In the messy church of Corinth, Paul, from the outset, paints the picture and says, you belong to Jesus, that you are now in him, that you're sanctified and made holy, entirely the initiative of God. And now comes walking with him, authentically, not fake. It's about love, It's about love in following Jesus, not simply about rule keeping, of thinking, I've got to, I must. This is constraining. Actually, love and following Jesus calls us into freedom. That as Paul saw the passionate faith of the believers in Corinth, he was so encouraged. But he recognised in them that that faith, that loyalty, that love for Jesus wasn't going deep. That Paul was really startled when he looked at their example in the church about their lives and their living. We heard earlier on in the chapters there were divisions, there was hostility, there was kind of like factions opposing, maybe arguing, undermining, finding and seeking to form cliques of who was the top dog, the upper hand, who was in the ascendancy and who should be put down, maybe involving unkindness. In chapters 5 and 6 he goes on to address some really deep issues of immorality that had taken root in the church and everyone seemed to tolerate it but in chapter 6 of Christians falling out and suing each other taking each other to court not trying to resolve it a bit with each other in the Lord but actually taking matters into their own hands in the court system in Corinth that their faith though passionate wasn't deep that their faith wasn't translating into Christ likeness And so he wants to remind them and call them to that deeper way, that overarching reminder of who they are and who they are to be, how they are to live and why. Holiness, Christ-likeness, godliness, the authentic way.
1: Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I will strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul
0: has been reminding them about why he's an apostle and, and his position. But he draws from an image that would be been very familiar in Corinth. He talks about games, he talks about training and running with the goal in mind in a way that really helps us understand now of course he's talking about the gospel and living in society and and putting into place things to make jesus known but i think this carries too because of what happens in chapter 10 we'll come to that in a moment about running the race about constraining ourselves or training ourselves or living in the way that is entirely consistent with the goal in mind in walking with jesus We train ourselves, we live in a way that is authentic, that is consistent, that matches up to how he is who he is, because of who we are in him. I came across a story that I I found really moving. There's a race. And the athlete, Abel Matei, is representing Kenya and was just a few feet from the finish line. But he was confused with the signs, lots of signs, people cheering, and stopped short at the finishing line, thinking that he completed the race. The man behind him, the Spanish athlete, Ivan Fernandez, right behind him, as you can see, and realised what was happening. From behind, he shouted at the Kenyan for him to start Uh, To continue running, but Matei didn't know Spanish and didn't understand. So from behind, the Spaniard pushed him to victory. And Abel Matei finished and crossed the line first. A journalist asked Ivan, Why did you do that? He replied, My dream is that someday we can have a kind of community life. But the journalist insisted, But why did you let the Kenyan win? Ivan replied, I didn't let him win, he was going to win. Again, the journey. The journalist responded, but you could have won. Ivan looked at him and replied, but what would be the merit of my victory in that? What would be, honor, be the honour of the medal? And what would my mum think? He did the right thing. He acted with integrity. He acted in a way that was honourable. The Paul is saying in our Christian living, in the freedoms that we now have, in the fullness of the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ, we are now called to walk, to run, to pursue Jesus in godly ways. Now, as I said at the start, the mark of a saint is not perfection, but consecration. That means being committed to. A saint is not someone without uh, faults, but actually who's given himself or herself without reserve to God. That through it all, in this depth that Paul is looking for in the church of Corinth, he's asking for that consistent lifestyle, that consistent mind and heart that says I will follow the ways of God, that I will implement the ways of God in all of my life, in the messiness of life, not just on the Sunday but in in the dealings with other believers in the weekday and won't fall out and won't gossip and won't uh, fracture what God has put together or bring disrepute to the honour and glory of Jesus. He comes first. As Jesus would phrase it, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your body. Someone noticed in the waters around Greenland when the icebergs broke off from the ice sheets that there were some tiny icebergs and others that would tower massive pieces of ice, And as they watched them in the water in the bay, at times the small ones would go in one direction, while these gigantic ones would go in an entirely different way. And they began to think, why is that? And they worked out that the small ones were pushed around by the winds blowing on the surface of the waters. But the huge ice masses are carried along by deeper ocean currents. That we live in a world and a society in a culture that is immediate and quick, like the surface winds, and seeks to blow us in ideas and principles. What Paul is looking for is depth, rooted and established in Jesus Christ, dwelling and knowing him and loving him and journeying with him, such that we are moved by the deep currents of grace, holiness, holiness. Paul, in chapter 10, moves on and and speaks about the example from Israel's history.
1: For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless God was not pleased with most of them, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Paul is saying for our example, for us,
0: we are to look back. It's not a new path, it's not a new race, that in Israel, the Old Testament, he says in verse 1, our ancestors, or our forefathers and foremothers, and in verse 6, are examples to us for to keep us uh, from setting our hearts on evil. In other words, this isn't a new path that we are walking, but one that has been consistently called out and called us to by God, that we are called into the ways of holiness, of seeking and walking with Jesus. First Corinthians 10 has that amazing uh, promise and, and that wonderful verse that is, is challenging in verse, uh, in verse 10. Uh, sorry, um, in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And then the promise that is reiterated, and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide you a way, a way out so you can endure it. In other words, Paul is saying, in these learning of deep ways of being drawn in the currents of grace, we will have trials and we will have temptations. He's, he's highlighted three, that of idolatry in the Old Testament with the people of God, that is still common. Of trusting and according power to other things. God calls us to love him and consecrate ourselves to him. Putting our trust and favour and weight of, uh, um, of worship into anything else is idolatry. Paul says the deep ways avoid that. Paul is clear in chapter 10 about sexual sin. He says that if we fall into that, it doesn't go well. Again, that's a very countercultural thing to say, not just in this age, but in the age of Corinth and in every century. Why is sexual sin such a big deal? Well, partly because we are made physically in the image of God. And as Paul has already uh, emphasized in chapter 6, that we are in ourselves as believers now, temples, we are the place where God's Spirit resides, we are holy. And to sin sexually is to damage that, to mar that. But interestingly, the third thing he highlights is that ingratitude, a lack of thankfulness, of doubting his goodness, is also one of these trials and temptations that is common, not just to Corinth, but to us. Paul is saying the way to avoid sin is not to avoid sinners, is not to withdraw and shut the doors and hide away from the world, but rather to stay close to Jesus because God, in verse 13, we're told, is faithful. These examples are to keep us from setting our hearts on evil, for we've been called out and gifted new life in Jesus Christ. If you remember back to one of those opening verses, it talked about how we are sanctified in Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. How do we take these steps forward in holiness? Well, essentially, uh, this is what God wants for us to make us holy. He gives us the scriptures with the stories of failing and uh, of people falling, but also of success and where people get it right. The scriptures are given to help us. To show us, to lead us, to inspire us, to correct us. Encourage you to read it. But more than read it, he encourages us to practice it. But far more than this, he gives us the Holy Spirit, the holiness expert. He is the Holy One to come and he lives within us. To show us, to lead us, to prompt us, to help us to do every little thing one step at a time. It's a process, yes, but He makes us holy. In closing, just a way of picturing that. Someone phrased it like this Imagine that you are a large ship coming into a river estuary, and you're wanting to get up into the river to a port. Rivers by nature are very difficult to get into and navigate. They have sandbanks and and channels that one must follow. And the ship's captain doesn't know the river well enough to make it on his own. So he radios ahead and calls for a harbour pilot. The harbour pilot is someone who knows the river just like the back of his hand. And can point to the pitfalls and the dangers and the correct way, the true channel that the ship must take. To arrive safely, as the pilot arrives on board, the captain says, "Thank you for coming, sir. Now, if you could just take the wheel, we'll all be on our way." But the harbor pilot replies, "No, sir. That's not the option. I'm not licensed to take over. I can tell you what I think you should do, but I have, but you have to make the decisions." So in partnership, the captain steers the ship and the harbour pilot makes the suggestions with the insight and the experience and the knowledge that the captain should follow. 20 degrees to starboard here, sir. Slow down for this section. Take that bend wide, sir, and so on. It's up to the captain to make the decisions and take the advice Of the harbour pilot who's right besides. It's up to the captain whether he listens or ignores. He can do things his own way but I guess we all know where that will lead. For the church in Corinth, Paul reminds them, calls them back, know who you are in Christ, you are holy that the cross has accomplished all. And more than that, he's gifted us with the Spirit who is within us and within our fellowship and family. And he calls us, even though it's a struggle, into the ways of Jesus, the holy ways.